Hello, I'm Sisset K. Faber. I am a returning Lordy, and I'm happy to be here. And I'm Phone, once again, with Sisset K. Faber and our good friend. Oh, oh, right. Now I talk. And I'm Jim, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet you can hear topics, topics discussed. Sisset K. Faber, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? Yeah, so I will say that uh, I am a trans person who has not been able to transition, and I mostly take up residence on Twitter at Sisset K. Faber or in the Topic Lords Discord. And then recently I started a Blue Sky with the same account name, but I will also be starting a Mastodon because it seems like my mutuals have split. So um, I will be doing that. And I've, I've been on the show before. Um, I live in Japan. I did interpreting at TGS and other things. I've been a data scientist. I now work very boring job in IT and it's a lot of fun. Have you um, noticed a pattern of like which people go to Blue Sky and which people go to Mastodon? I have. The people who value their personal relationships go to Mastodon. The people who want discourse go to Blue Sky. Interesting. Well, you, you say discourse or like, you know, want a relationship. Oh, that's derogatory. Well, well, well I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, more, I'm more asking like, is it a relationship with a editor of some sort? Like Emacs, perhaps? Oh, no, there's no like Vim Emacs split. But I have had mutuals contacting me and be like, no, I didn't go to Blue Sky because like it's not safe there. It's Jack stuff. And it's, yeah, it's Jack. And then, yeah, yeah. Like we, we, we've already tried social media networks run by tech CEOs. <laughs> That's how we ended up in this, in this situation in the first place. Right. Yeah. And, Arrested development meme goes here. <laughs> yeah. And my explanation is that like, I have dual purpose on Twitter, which is that I want to see what Shaq posts. And then I also want to contact mutuals. And if I have to use two services to do that, that's okay for me. But I also need the, the human zoo factor of bad takes. I, I, it's, it's my own weakness. I realize that it's a bad thing. Is Shaq on blue? Who, who sent Shaq a blue sky invite? That's what I want. I don't, know. I don't know if Shaq's on blue sky yet, but like, you know, like ice T is going to be on blue sky, right? He's not going to be on threads or Mastodon. Like, <sighs> well, I, I'm phone. I'm just like Kevin Amber's friend. Um, that's about it. Okay. Actually, no, sorry. Sorry. I do want to plug uh, something. Uh, it is not me. I'm not associated with this person. However, they are cool. Highly recommend checking it out. Oh, that raspberry on Twitter. Um, they do awesome comics as they've fallen down a Metal Gear hole. Metal Gear? <laughs> it's totally legit to just plug something you like. So, yeah. Uh, are we ready to start on some topics? Yes. Speaking of Metal Gear, uh, phone your topic is a correction to a previous topic where I stated that Metal Gear Solid 2 was the most important game of 2023. Uh, yes. Um, I'd like to apologize to everybody. I did misspeak. I was working with the information I had at the time, but... As of right now, the most important game of 2023 is the Metal Gear Solid Master Collection Volume 1 that's coming out in October, where you can play Metal Gear Solid 2. And also 1 and 3. It also 1 and 3, but most importantly, you can play Metal Gear Solid 2. So the, the, the streak continues. Most importantly, you can buy it to fund the port of MGS4 away from the cell processor. <laughs> Is that really, is that one old, still only on the PlayStation 3? Yes, never been ported. That's amazing. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where the architecture and some of the things that they did kind of makes porting it a little bit tricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the PlayStation 3 had extremely specific hardware and 
if you're optimizing for that, I could see like really getting entrenched. Yeah, th- that game has some incredible shader work that gets uh-huh. missed. Like I bought that game after I had already bought a PS4 and there are like, obviously the resolution isn't there. Like it's a little crunchy, but like, it's kind of like playing the switch, right? Like the switch isn't like 4k or even 1080p in a lot of cases, but because of the attention to detail and the graphics work, like there's such a cleanliness to it. And like, it's so designed that like it has some really great graphical effects that just are sort of languishing there only on like PS3 right now. Yeah. And not to go to bat for Konami or anything like that, because they have not been super great in the most recent years when it comes to things that they have and um, especially their relationship with uh, Kojima and Kojima Productions. But uh, they are actually putting an effort into releasing games and IP that they had because some of the stuff was available like as recently as 2021, I believe. And then all the digital storefronts just completely shut down. So, Oh yeah. I didn't know that. I knew that MGS one, two, and three, and a lot of the stuff that was released in the PS3 collection had PC ports. Have they brought back PT yet? This would be a good place to put it in one of these metal gear solid collections. I, I think a PT is going to be resigned to a thousand dollar PS fours on eBay. Yeah. Like, like, like that's going to be his final resting ground. Yeah. I, it's not what Konami wants to do. And it's so hard that I don't, I don't think they're ever going to do more with that. Unfortunately, like the re-releases make sense for them because it's IP they own. They can farm it out. And so is PT to a certain extent, but like, it's not like PT is not metal gear solid. So they're not, they don't, there's not like the appetite from higher ups because it's, it's hard to describe, but like Konami is a large company, a small portion of which ever was video games. A lot of it was like health complexes in Japan. <laughs> a lot of it was pachinko machines, even prior to what people discovered after they left the games industry. Like Japanese companies are very diversified and Konami was not like an exception to that. And so I know that in the West, our only experience with Konami is like Metal Gear Solid and like Kessen or like Goemon. Yeah, like some of these games, but like that was a small portion of their business for them. And so they're looking at like most bang for buck. It's like this collection is like, okay, IP we own, three games, we farm it out. Like this is easy. These all had PC ports, so they're all compatible with PS4 and Xbox. So very easy for them to do. Yeah, yeah, we're we're well past the 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 era when it you could make a console game and make a bunch of money easily. Like right now, in in order to be to be competitive, you have to spend a lot of money, and it's very risky. Yeah. So like, it makes total sense that like a company that might be like oh we could get into video games in the '80s would now be like it's okay, we're done with that now. Like, uh, I, I think Squaresoft's like initial thing is that it was some subsidiary of a power company. Like, I hadn't heard of this. Oh, like all like these weird tendrils and stuff like that. I had never heard that, but I would not, I would not be surprised like that that was the case. Like, uh, I'd have, I, I mean, I could be completely speaking on my butt and I'll check Wikipedia later, but like, I'm fairly certain that's accurate. But like with Konami in particular, like you said, they have the pachinko, you know, stuff in there uh, in the health clubs. But to the broader point of Japanese companies being diversified and having their fingers in basically a lot of different pies, um, this is true with the uh, train companies. 
Like the train companies are real estate companies that happen to operate a train that takes you to giant department stores that have their name on it and hotels with their name on it. Yeah. Or I mentioned this in the Discord, but like 7-Eleven is a bank that happens <laughs> to sell Slurpees in the US now. But like, and it started in the US, but then was bought pretty quickly by a Japanese company in the 70s. And then from there, they made it a bank. And then for a long time, it was the only place you could get foreign money out easily in Japan. Um, and so like they grew very huge from what they did, but that like the the convenience store aspect of 7-Eleven is kind of secondary to their like financial interest as a financial institution. Yeah, that's uh, that's weird. So yeah, Konami, it's like a lot of stuff said and a lot of weird business practices. They're not good once you understand the reason for them being that they are a Japanese company, but uh, it is less shocking for sure. Oh, I was I was about to make a joke about this, but this collection has Metal Gear for the MSX on it. Right, that's easy. Like you ship an open source MSX emulator, emulator. You, you... <laughs> oh yeah, it's not it's not hard. I just wasn't expecting it. Well, that was in the original. Like that was in the PS3 release of the collection. So. Oh, is this a re-release of the of the like? The... It's not officially, but when you look at the contents, it maps uh -huh. very closely to what they did with the PS3 collections. Okay, this is a a remaster collection remake. Like technically, <laughs> uh -huh. because I, I think that I think that they're doing an asset pass, but I I don't know. They remastered all the games on the Vita, and they upscaled all the textures for the Vita, which is uh really good because all those games had pretty good art direction. So like the Vita version of MGS two is like it is so beautiful. Like it's hard to describe how beautiful that game is on the Vita, and then that port for the Vita is the one that got used for like PS3 and PC. And so I would be surprised if they did another asset pass because I'm pretty sure that they did all that cleanup work before. So does the volume one imply that like there's going to be a volume two with Metal Gear Solid 4 in it? Is that the idea there? I mean, if you number something, there has to be a sequel. On PS3, that was true, but MGS4 was already a PS3 game. What volume two consisted of on PS3 was a PS3 port of Peace Walker plus MGS4 plus I think a uh, code for the PSP version of one of the interstitial games. Like awesome. um, it may have been like the PSP version of Peace Walker or something. I don't remember, but it was very weird. But eventually they packaged them all up and you could buy them in one big collection like I did. Does it include the the nineteen eighty eight novelization, the Worlds of Power book? It did not. That's too bad. So uh, ironically enough, I wanted to circle back to what I said earlier about Square. From the source of all knowledge, wikipedia.org, um, Square was initially established in September 1983 as a software subsidiary of Denyusha, an electric power conglomerate led by uh, Kunichi Miyamoto. So I mean, Square... Very good. Yeah, I mean, Square got its start as a power company, you know, spinoff basically. Well, a Nintendo, a playing card company, like, yeah. you know. Ultra Hand company uh, according to this there is a you can enter the passcode in the msx version of metal gear you can enter the passcode fuck me one 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 and that takes you to the final boss battle without any items or weapons and then also samus is naked <laughs> right I, I mean what did you think was going to happen I, I never tried it <laughs> I wonder if that was in the original release, because that does sound like a very Kojima thing to do. Yeah. 
it's also totally possible that it was just like this sequence of characters happens to generate that i don't know that's that, that's that does seem very specific that scenario that's being described yeah i don't i don't think that would be the case like but like i think it was i think it turned out that for example justin bailey that code uh, um, that, yeah that was the one was just like a bit mash or something got sword somewhere narpus sword was the one that was on purpose Justin Bailey was just like these letters happened to create this save file. Yeah, they game genie themselves in right. their password system. So tell us what's what's important about this collection. I mean, most importantly, it's just that it's going to be available. Oh yeah, yeah. It's one of the what the the eight percent of games for before twenty fifteen that you, that can be purchased. It was thirteen percent and before twenty ten, I believe, okay, was yeah, yeah. Well, 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 was the criteria by uh, the lovely folks at the Video Game History uh, Foundation. Uh, which, if you haven't read that article, go check it out. It's awesome. They also did a podcast. They actually did too. They were on Retronauts with basically the same exact topic with the same exact people. So uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's going to be available. Like, if you don't have a PS2, if you don't have an Xbox. And the original game, or if you don't want to go splunking through eBay or Facebook Marketplace or wherever you find used video games, like you can go plop down 40 bucks or whatever and get, I'd have to say, probably at least 100 hours of entertainment out of it. Yeah. And oh, I'll, yeah. Those, those games are real long. Yeah. And I'll reiterate that um, at least 100 hours of cutscenes. Yeah. Like the games do get knocked for that, but like it's not quite as bad as like, um, like Xenosaga was really bad. Like Xenosaga had like a 45 minute cutscene. Like <laughs> it's not quite pause. as bad as people remember because what they were used to was like almost no cutscenes or like 15 second cutscenes. And then this was a game that had some that were a couple minutes. Right. It's like when you go back now, it doesn't actually feel that bad. Like I played them all in the modern day and they they move pretty, pretty all right. Would you say there's cutscene inflation? Yes, yes, I do think there's cutscenes. Like, you think inflation. modern games have longer cutscenes than games 20 years ago? Yes, for sure. One million percent. Because of voicing. Interesting. I just don't play that kind of game. I, I haven't observed this. Like, prior to voicing, it didn't matter so much. And what they showed you was, like, big set pieces that were, like, a minute or two long at the most. Mm -hmm. and, and then after voicing... Specifically, like Final Fantasy X is probably like the point where things cross the line. Um, and even Final Fantasy X is pretty like reserved with how it uses cutscenes. But then once you get into the era of like Final Fantasy XIII, where they could just like encode movies on a disc for free almost. Yeah. And with voices, they just went fucking nuts. And then also like you get like um, Dragon's Age. Which just it it has so many cutscenes that are just like shot reverse shot like generated kind of like um, situations where nobody's paying any attention to like emotion or anything. It's just like characters talking back and forth, yeah. and it's all voiced, so you can't like skip or skim any of it. I mean, you can kind of, but like, come on. But like, yeah. So I do think there has been cutscene inflation. Yes. I mean, even at the beginning of a lot of games, um, I know that there's the uh, Twitter account, Can You Pet the Dog? But I'm pretty sure that there's also um, like one that is how long until you get control like of the character? Like how long is the game talking at you or, you know, starting the uh, onboarding slash tutorialization process? Right. 
Right. We used to have time to create and now we have time to control. <laughs> time to when your input matters. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, old people getting mad at video games. That's right. This old man yells at butt. Are we ready for another topic? Sure. Onwards, upwards. Uh, Sis at Kayfaber, your topic is children cannot be trusted to enjoy things, and maybe that's fine. Yeah, so th- this sounds very negative, and I don't mean it in a very negative way, but it's it's a situation that you encounter when you're a parent where there are special situations for your kid, like Christmas or we're going to a like a special playground that they that like costs a lot of money or going to the amusement park and you have no idea if they're going to enjoy it or not or if they're going to like have a meltdown because it's too overwhelming yeah and then at the same time if they enjoy it they will probably ask you the next day why you are not doing that exact same thing again <laughs> and so There's a way where when you're a parent, you want to do all these special things for your kid and like have them have all these great experiences. And this is a conversation I have back and forth with my with my wife. And she's she messaged me today and she's like, oh, they got this um, somen slide. And this is going to take some explanation. But in Japan, there's a cold ramen noodles called somen. And then in the summer, you put them down like a flume like thing and you catch them with chopsticks and they make like raceways with water and like water slides that you can put like at the table in your kitchen for this. So you can put vegetables and ramen in them and the children catch them and eat them. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Oh yeah, there's this, there's this slide for the ramen noodles. We should get this. And I was like, yeah, that seems really fun. It's a good price, but we shouldn't get it because the thing that we're going to have to deal with is why we're not doing that every single day while my daughter is on summer break. <laughs> it's going to be fun the one time we do it. And then every day after that, it's going to be a nightmare. And I think that's fine because it's just the way children are. And I think that's mostly a problem of adults wanting things to be more meaningful and like trying really hard, but not understanding the kid brain of like what the impact is. So yeah, Winston's thing, we tried signing him up for several different classes and almost every time, like these classes go on for, you know, 10 weeks or whatever, almost every time he'll go to the first class and then when we try to take him this to the 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 this class again next week, he won't do it. Like that's how that happens almost every time. I, I do remember like things being overwhelming, like especially at a young age. Like I think for me, it was like this place smells like extremely different, and you know <laughs> the uh, danger factors going off. Like Winston is definitely like a deeply feeling child, like very very strong emotions about whatever he's feeling. He's feeling it really strongly. Like subs and dubs, or I he, he's never heard of those. We'll uh, check back in later. <laughs> uh, and and if it's up to me, he'll he never will. <laughs> <laughs> because you're only using one. And which one is it? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we we have <laughs> subtitles on all the time, you yeah, know, yeah, even yeah. in English. So oh yeah. So if anything, it would be both. The only one we ever insisted on, and this didn't work. Like he just was so was swimming because you, you need to fucking learn how to swim or you're going to drown. Like, yep. <laughs> it was really important. And he, and he just had every reason to not go swimming. Like he didn't like the instructor's voice. This lane is like, this lane of the pool is too hot. This one is too cold. You know, just, just clearly, he clearly did not know. Like we, we were trying to, you know, talk him into this and he didn't, he clearly didn't know why he didn't want to do it. 
either that or he was trying like desperately to hide from us why he didn't want to do it because we we would like try to ask him about it and he would make shit up uh, i mean it's it's really cool that like all that goes away after once you become an adult yeah, and, yeah like no, you don't encounter people do, everything <laughs> i do makes perfect sense and i never make up explanations after the fact yeah but like yeah this is kind of like yeah that's a, that's the perfect thing for my topic of like you just you, you can really try as a parent to do right by your kids even in cases where it's like I'm showing you something that if I had ever experienced it as a kid, I would have lost my my entire goddamn mind. But because they don't have your context, you can't ever trust that they're going to enjoy it. And I think some parents look at this and they're like, oh, that's a total loss. Like, that's really disappointing. And for me, that's really freeing mm-hmm. because it means I never have to do anything so special for my kids that for them to enjoy that. Like the best thing, like from my perspective is to like, be present, listen to what they want, like provide them a lot of what they want. And then also like be very chill that like, if you can do that, then like, they'll probably be happy. And they're not going to be like, I didn't have the raceway for the ramen noodles when I was a kid. Like mm-hmm. they'll, they'll probably be okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I've been trying to, and then mostly succeeding at being like very like, I'm okay with him like not inter- being interested in the things I'm interested in because I, I feel like that's a trap a lot of parents fall into is they want to get their kids into their hobbies and that's really important and I get it you know you want to you want to play video games with your kid that's not, that sounds like the way you're playing video games and you're parenting at the same time yeah I want to say probably the highest or like the most well known kind of like situation where this this has happened where the parents have very obviously like have told the kid you are going to be doing this is uh the current f1 world champion max verstappen <laughs> like, like like his dad um is kind of never having a temper and then also some of the stories that he's told is just like oh yeah like my my dad used to do xyz and it's just like you're describing abuse like that is what abuse is like Yes, you may be from the Netherlands, but that's that's still abuse, no matter how, how you cut it. <laughs> it's e- even the Dutch can abuse people, abuse their children. Yes, even the Dutch. Um, but this is why I mentioned Christmas is because culturally that's the same too. Is that like that's I think that's the trap that a lot of people get caught up in is that they feel they definitely feel like it's okay for their kids to not be into the same interests as they are in terms of hobbies. But then when it comes to like birthdays. Mother's Day, yeah. Father's Day, yep. Christmas, kids just get like fucking railroaded on that. And if they don't perform like what is expected of them, they get a lot of negative feedback in a way that is very disproportionate because of the importance of the day for the parent. And like, I'm not going to say like I'm the best parent on earth, but I'll just say like one of the strategies that I did for my daughter was just that like we didn't give her all the presents on Christmas Day. That like we got some in the mail, we got some other times and we opened like a couple on Christmas morning so we could eat breakfast and have some photos. And then we, I did not do the rest of it because I knew it just, it would just be overwhelming. It wouldn't be meaningful. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to convince other parents of that. Even like my partner, like I I have this very clear in my head and I can explain it, but it's just very difficult for people to accept that like kids' brains work the way they do. And that just because it's meaningful for you doesn't mean it's like meaningful for them. Yeah. 
luckily, Winston loves Christmas and Halloween, and those are the two holidays I care about. Yeah, my daughter loves Halloween too. I think I think Halloween is great because there's so few expectations for Halloween. You can kind of do whatever you want. You can wear a costume and you can like dance or you can watch scary movies or but there's so few expectations for it that it's such a great holiday for for kids. And that's one of the few times where kids can can do what they want. Yeah. And then this isn't really like a friction point with my partner. I, I don't even think it's a negative thing about kids. I think it's like as a parent, I find it like I said, I find it very freeing because it means like you can do less for your kids most of the time and they'll have a better experience because you you like you were less forceful with them on things they didn't understand. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to open a beer. So Esper quit. Like, you know, Esper, make sure that beer distorts. <laughs> Christmas and Halloween are easy, though, because on Halloween, you get a bunch of candy. Christmas, you get a bunch of presents. Of course, kids are going to love these things. I disagree about Christmas. The presents on Christmas come with the expectation that you will be grateful for them oh. and that you will enjoy each of them. And that's almost never the case for most kids. They will, they will always have one uncle or one parent who gets them the thing that they actually wanted. And then they'll get like a bunch of stuff that they like, it's fine, but like they don't quite care about it and they don't have the social skill to fake it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like we have not really played that aspect of it up. So. Yeah. I think Winston's young and then also the pandemic and stuff. And so like, you may not have been, been in that situation yet. So like, and then also like you are you and are somewhat like me. Mm-hmm. And so you wouldn't be doing that to your child and are not like, yeah, like it, right, it's not right. what I'm talking about. Like, I get what you're saying though. No sweaters from uh, distant relatives as a gift. If the sweater had Mario on it though, he could, he could get into that or like a cool, a cool dinosaur. Exactly. Yeah. I got so many gender swapped gifts when I was a kid because, um, and maybe this is why I'm trans, but uh, I had two sisters and then a lot of like elderly relatives that would like mislabel stuff. Oh. So I got the, the Little Mermaid on VHS as a gift once, and I was supposed to get Peter Pan, and I, I ended up liking the Little Mermaid a lot more because it's a much better movie. Mm-hmm. Details, details. Also, like brushes and like combs and like a whole series of like just gender swapped gifts that nobody in my family was uh direct enough with anybody about to ever tell me was like oh this was mislabeled and then later i was like oh that's weird my sister got like the gift that was clearly for the boy child and i got like the comb it looked like a duck and uh (laughs) everybody needs to comb their hair but only girls get duck combs for 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 christmas oh it was great like i loved it because like i was a girl so like it's just i didn't think anything of it but then later thinking back it's like oh okay like yes of course i i just remembered that i had shared a uh it was a news clip because this is like a stunt that was done a while ago about the people that were swapping the gi joe and barbie like voice boxes on toys oh it's so, <laughs> so good like, you have like gi joe who's like talking about like i can't wait to go to college and stuff but it's so real though because like they got the gi bill right like they're they're going shopping on their when they're you know off duty right so like can we go to the mall on the weekend (laughs) yeah i hope this is a plot point in the barbie movie i don't believe it is but i have not seen it yet because it has not come out in japan yet but uh swap the barbie and oppenheimer voice boxes um oppenheimer is not releasing in japan so 
<laughs> oh, that, that, make, that makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah, there's been some discourse. There was a problem with the official Barbie account on Twitter doing the Barbenheimer meme and Japanese Twitter users not liking that. And I understand why. Yeah. Context asterisks. Keep in mind, my, my, my mind was broken as a child due to the internet and stuff like that. But uh, Japanese people did start posting like 9-11 memes like as a offensive like strategy towards Western people being like kind of shitty towards them, which is oddly funny and endearing. Oh, they did. And it was it was great. And um, they missed the mark because just America is a culture where like on essay, there was a Photoshop Friday where you have Chewbacca dancing on top of the World Trade Center and taking them down. That like <laughs> the United States has a long history of making fun of 9-11 that starts like the day of 9-11, which is 9-11 is bad. Nuclear bombs are bad. Um, this is all bad. The, 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 the absurdity of the situation is it, it can be a joy independent of that, I believe. Yeah, there's just a different thing. Just the, the tone and the thinking about th- those kinds of events between the two countries is very different. For obvious reasons, you know, 3000 people died on 9-11 and then, you know, tens of thousands of people died in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so, like, there's a big difference in the way that it is viewed very obviously. And so, like, I understand what the Japanese Twitter users were trying to do, but then also they created some very good memes. (laughs) And that's that's really what matters. Do you want to share some? We could put them in the show notes. Do you save them to your hard drive? Uh, I have not saved them to my hard drive. There's like, well, why would you have to save it? Like, is Twitter going anywhere? There's one I will describe. I'm not going to like share any others, but maybe in the show notes, I'll link a couple more. But like, one of them was Barbie with hair that was curly, but it was it looked curly because it was the smoke from the mushroom bomb, and so it was like Barbie's head against like a desert backdrop. And then the mushroom cloud mostly replaced except for what looked like her curly hair, which is also kind of like cultural appropriation because it kind of looked like an Afro. So like, uh, I mean, I think you just described about like maybe 55% of rock albums in the nineties and two thousands, <laughs> like the cover photo. <laughs> yes, these are, yes, this is very, yeah, this is very rock album cover. Are we ready for another topic? Yes, yes please. Uh, my topic is this list of extremely specific danger signs, and I have a link here to uh, Tumblr. Um, I'm just going to read this first one. This is a sign that is is underwater. There's a picture of the Grim Reaper and like five or five or six diver corpses. Stop! Prevent your death. Go no farther. Fact: More than 300 divers, including open water scuba instructors, have died in caves just like this one. Fact, you needed training to dive. You need cave training and cave equipment to cave dive. Fact, without cave training and cave equipment, divers can die here. Fact, it can happen to you. There is nothing in this cave worth dying for. Do not go beyond this point. This is a huge sign, extremely, extremely like legible, presumably in front of a of an underwater cave. And gosh, it, I have to imagine so many people have died here for it to be... Like, we need to put up this enormous sign. And then the rest of the post is like, here are all sorts of ways that you could fuck around and find out. Please don't. There's like another dozen signs like this. Well, safety used to be better. Like, OSHA used to be more powerful, right? 
Is, is that true? I didn't know that. I mean, just a regulatory body. Yes. Likely, yeah. yeah. But um, the, the thing is, is that like, you'll see this giant sign and like, I did want to make a joke earlier, just being um, like, oh, sorry, officer, I didn't see the sign. Uh-huh. <laughs> or whatever. Just like, you know, the most obvious things in the world aren't obvious. And uh, a lot of the, a lot of these things that exist under this umbrella is because it had to be explicitly written out in very, very explicit language, just saying it's a bad time to, you know, take some wire cutters and go hop over the fence of the substation and start snipping giant pieces of copper. Oh yeah. Free copper. Do you feel lucky? (laughs) I, I feel rich. I feel like I need some free copper. I feel about 130 kilovolts. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> you don't feel that. You are paralyzed. <laughs> I'm a spear. Yeah, but like um, some of this is right. Like uh, workplace, like this, these are not all workplace, right? But like uh, workplace hazards used to be slightly more meaningful in some ways, even if workplace has not been made fully safe for everybody. My uncle works at a large oil conglomerate and he hates OSHA. And one of his things is like, this person never should have been where they were when they died on the job. And then the person is always a contractor who never had training not to be where they were. Right. And there used to be just like giant pits and stuff and just like shit you could put your arm in and just like nobody cared. It's just like nobody's really going to do this. Right. And nobody ever thought like, what if somebody slips on a banana peel or like, what if somebody has an accident or the, this is like kind of where the birthplace of a lot of systems of safety, like lockout yes. mechanisms, like come into place where, you know, Hey, let's have some sort of system in place so that it isn't possible to be locked in the, in the walk-in freezer because uh, it is negative 40 degrees in there. Well, yeah. And this is a thing I deal with in my job a lot, which is like information security and it, which is just like, you don't be careful by paying attention. That's a very naive way to view the idea of being careful and paying attention. You be careful by planning for somebody else or yourself not paying attention in the future, that you create the situation in which things are safe, even if somebody does not pay attention. Because if you are relying on somebody paying attention, you are fucked. Somebody is going to die. Yeah, yeah. You. You always want to create a situation, even even when we're not talking about life and death safety. Yes. Where someone will, by default, be safe or succeed. You don't put the coffee cup there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's another good one. This one looks like a a pop up over like a a website of some kind. It says emergency warning bushfire. You are in danger and need to act immediately to survive. This the safest option is to take shelter indoors immediately. It is too late to leave. And then there's a list of like, here's how you protect yourself from a bushfire when you can't leave. And presumably this is like something that shows up when you're fucked. Like if you see this message, you're fucked. Yeah, but very helpful because so many people die because they don't heed early warnings and then they do not realize the point at which they are fucked. Yep. And so it happens in like tornadoes and hurricanes and happens in like earthquake disaster situations um flooding flying around in the tornado googling what do you do when you're in a tornado right but people seem to think that like oh 
shit's real bad right now. I got to like get in my car and go. And they don't realize that like, no, that is death. The best thing for you to do is get on your roof right now. There's a set of things you can do prior to shit hitting the fan. And there's a set of things you can do to survive after shit hitting the fan. And people are very not practiced in knowing when shit has actually hit the fan. So these kinds of warnings are actually like, depending on how they're deployed and stuff, like I can't vouch for this specific one, but like in terms of disaster response, you need messages like this. Yeah. This uh, bushfire one reminds me of the, uh, the mishap, the misfire that happened on Hawaii. That was like literally like all the road signs in Hawaii were just like, yep, 10 minutes to go. Good luck. Like, uh, I think this happened in like 2017, I believe. Like till what? 10 minutes till what? Until basically Hawaii's, Hawaii would be wiped off the map. Like North Korean missiles or like volcanoes or like? 2018 Hawaii false missile alert. Oh, yeah. Uh, topic Lord Ryan Ike was in Hawaii for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I vaguely remember that because uh, he probably had a very, very good story about, uh, you know, what do you do when you see a giant sign that says the missile's coming straight for you? Yeah, yeah. I, if I remember right, it was like um, when your your phone does the the, the Amber Alert thing yeah, where yeah, it yeah. plays a, a unique sound and pops up a message no matter what you're doing. The uh, on the Wikipedia article, there's an iOS uh, test notification or one of those alerts. Um, emergency alerts, emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Yeah. Like, yeah, that that's one of the other sides of, you know, the language being very, very, you know, straightforward is, you know, a lot of people took that seriously because, you know, <laughs> that is wasn't very, a drill. very specific. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very specific language um there there was a a good goof of that where like somebody was uh like mocked up what the test page looked like and it had like a an ad that popped up like a pop-up ad that like wiggled the mouse so instead of clicking on like test signal it moved the the button to like send real signal yeah i, I remember yeah. seeing that heath that animated heath uh I, i'm disturbed by that and and maybe it's time to embrace webm you think so <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think i think uh, everybody can be unified around uh you know the, the gif gif and heath debate by just just moving on to webm can't get on board with webm because uh, i'm a web s <laughs> we'll we'll find a way to we'll find a dichotomy to to divide ourselves over it's like is it webm or is it web nn web p oh yeah is it just a renamed web p heic i guess heic is it an ASF? Do we all go back to Shockwave? All these need to be on that internet rug that I can't get. <laughs> oh, internet rug. I tried to order you. I think it still might be possible to buy like the giant um, System 7 like floppy disk blanket, though. That still might be available. <laughs> would you say that you got rug pulled on the internet rug? I, I guess I would have to. I mean, right. did, I mean, did you pay money? Like... I did, but they refunded it. Okay, all right. Then that's not a rug pull. Okay, all right. Well, I, but emotionally it was. Yes, emotionally, yes. You're, you are correct, yes. So I found, I think, is this the blanket you're talking about? It's just a, a screenshot of Mac OS. Yeah, I, I posted it in the Discord. Uh, it's the Manola uh, Knitting Factory. It's for Throwboy. Yeah, I would I would have a blanket that's the um, the Mac startup sound. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
But you want a sound knitted into a blanket? <laughs> um, I just want to make I wanted to make that noise continuously while I'm trying to sleep. But no, I don't want this screenshot or or the the smiley thing, whatever that is. We'll put these images in the show notes so you can tell what we're talking about. Are we ready for another topic? Yes. Yep, let's go. Uh, for this topic, we're going to do the poem Bank Account by Lewis Cole. Uh, who would like to read this poem? It's got to be phone. All right, if I must. So this is, uh, well, I guess songs are poetry. So uh, this is a song. But you're not singing now. You're just per- performing it like it's a beat poem. You know, you just, and we're going to snap fingers at the end. Uh, but please, if you please. have seen Lewis Cole, it's not that different from what Lewis Cole does. So like, it's, yeah, it'll be, it'll be fine. I will not be slapping my throat to do the uh, warble, you know, to make it, to, 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 to uh, emphasize, you know, certain to words. All right. So I don't want to check my bank account. I'm too scared to check my bank account. I don't want to check my bank account. I'm too scared to check my bank account. Funk, check it, check it, don't want, check it, check it, don't want, don't want, don't want to. I don't want to check my bank account. I'm too scared to check my bank account, check my bank account, check my bank account, check my bank account, check my bank account. Check it, check it, don't want, check it, check it. So I've definitely read poems that and heard poems performed that were this repetitive without the benefit of, of music being in the background, such as funk. Like this is this this totally uh qualifies as a, a valid contribution to the Topic Lord's poetry collection. Uh who who empathizes with this poem? Well, I mean, I I, I do because I don't want to check my bank account. And thankfully, I don't have to. I used to. It's not that I can't. It's just that my wife has taken it upon herself to do our finances. And so I don't have to look at it. And so she checks the bank account and then complains to me about how I need to spend less money. So, (laughs) you know, I empathize with it. It's an okay poem on its own, even if it is repetitive. But then also like like Lewis Cole is... uh, He's a drummer, first and foremost. And so what is missed out here in the experience is a lot of like drum solos and funk music being played by the backup band. Synthesizers. Synthesizers and backup dancers. And it's one of these weird things where it's kind of a good deconstruction because like if Phone had sent this to me before he took me to a Lewis Cole concert, I would have been like, um, fuck you, you're insane. And then... I have seen this song performed live and I enjoyed it quite a lot. And I enjoyed this poem less because that stuff is not there, but like the core elements are there. And it's interesting to look at sort of the craft of what the, like the lyrics are in, as like a poem. So yeah, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. I can, I can hit you up with the history of this and, um, and it might be shocking to everybody here, but uh, this was apparently based off of a true story where being a college kid or slightly out of college, um, checking checking his banking account was uh, not fun, especially when you know come came to uh, making rent and stuff. But like the the origin of this is just him trying out stuff on the synthesizer, you know, trying to compose a song, and I mean, have to put something to it or just try to compose it, and you can you know, make a quick little loop of saying, I don't want to check it, check it, 
So I used to empathize with this uh, for a little bit, but um, I don't anymore. But uh, I should probably get back into checking my bank account to make sure that everything looks okay. Yeah, I feel okay about my bank account, but I just got uh, my tax returns back from my accountant and I'm afraid to look at that. So I feel yes, like that's, exactly. that's, that's the, the sequel. There's always <laughs> there's always things that you don't want to look at. Yeah, I still need to file my taxes, file my taxes, but that's uh, staying alive. It's not, it's not, I need to check my bank account, but uh, yeah, because um, expats now get an extra six months for free to file taxes. So I don't have to file till October. So uh, fun fact about expat taxes, if you want to, want to know real fast, below like 110 grand, you have to file for sure because you're a US citizen, but you get a minus $110,000 deduction in countries where they have a tax treaty, which Japan is one of those. And so you're not getting I double have, taxed. I am not getting double taxed. I am in fact getting double social security benefits if I file. And I'm saying that I've filed very promptly in the past few years, and that has not been a problem for me. If anybody has any evidence that it has been a problem for me, you are erroneous and you uh, you should not talk to the IRS. <laughs> Listen, I'm no rat. Are you ready uh, for another topic? Yes. Let's go. Uh, so I said, your topic is technical beliefs you have, which may be regarded as superstition, but are true to your experience. I'm convinced my new microphone is worse. So- what is your new microphone? I'm using my new microphone right now. So is it worse? Oh, I'd have to go back and compare. But what what, what is the is it is it the the snowball? I replaced my old snowball with a new snowball. Okay. The old snowball had the high pitched whine, which I don't know ever if ever came up on. It definitely came up on Audacity, but I don't know mm-hmm. if it ever came up on Zoom. But but the reason that I posted this is like there's a lot of audio engineering stuff that's like this where. People are convinced that like, I'm going to do a podcast or I'm going to do YouTube. I need to go get this professional microphone that's really sensitive. And then they get this really sensitive professional microphone and it picks up all of their room noise Uh and all of their noise outside. And then they're like, I need to go get foam and I need to go get this and that. And I can only record from 1130 to 1150 PM, like PM every day, because that's the, that's the quiet time. My thing as a, like a person who has been trained in audio engineering is that's not what I do for capturing like voice for speech. What I do is I get a insensitive microphone. I get (laughs) a microphone that doesn't pick up shit unless I am very close to it. And then I don't have to worry about the cicadas outside that you can't hear right now. Probably Uh, you don't have to worry about any echoes in my room because those are all below the, the pad for the microphone. And then also, uh, because my voice is coming through very clearly, you can then do post-processing on it to remove any noise that might be there, which is not there probably, and my voice sounds fine. And so I had a broken blue snowball for most of the life of that microphone that I had it, which is more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the way in which it was broken was it had a high-pitched whine whenever I recorded and there are three settings on the microphone and two of the settings had horrible static whenever you recorded with it. The third setting, which is the one that was um, like the lowest sort of volume that had the pad on it, it didn't have the static, but it had a high-pitched whine. And in Audacity, just record the high-pitched whine for five seconds, select it, and you can cancel it out. Yeah, Like it was never a problem. 
and the microphone never picked up any room noise, any background noise, nothing in any other rooms. Like I didn't have to build any kind of recording studio. Yeah, th- these these microphones are built for people to do like meetings with or voice chat in games. It's it's perfect for this exact like for some for one person talking into a mic. It's a very cheap solution, very easy. Right. It, yeah. And then Logitech had to go ruin it all, even though you said that your blue microphone had been broken <laughs> basically <laughs> since you got it. Before, before we get to how your new mic is terrible, uh, even though it's apparently the same as the old one, like my, my t- tip for anybody who wants to rec- do something where they're recording their voice is just get close to the mic. Yes. Like you, you want to be the loudest thing that this thing that it can hear. And you, yeah, like that, that's really the short version. I switched microphones out. I had a Blue Yeti. Actually, I still have a Blue Yeti. Maybe I should send it to you. Maybe it'll work for you. Um, I wanted that, but I, that's not what I bought. It costs twice as much, right? About, yeah. Uh, I, I I don't know. Like, I think it was like a hundred bucks maybe. But then again, I also bought that like 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so who knows? Um, so the microphone that I replaced it with is that everybody's just like, oh, yeah, you have to get the Shure SM7B, you know, condenser microphone. You have to get the cloud lifter and you have to get, you know, all this other stuff. So I did go with the audio interface, um, but I just went with the Shure SM58, which is yes. the not yes. condenser one. It is the, you know, it's the classic, you know, microphone. It's, it's the thing that, you know, has been in production basically since the late 50s early 60s you throw that shit inside a bass drum to mic it (laughs) yeah yeah so so like just going with the not fancier option and just getting on it is you know it's good enough like technically the gain on this is maxed out and i'm not on top of the phone but i'm pretty close but if i step away from the microphone like it doesn't really pick up that much right yeah like that's what's that's what you want and it's not that it's not as good it's that it's better for the purpose like that's my my whole thing and um so like i was convinced my new microphone would be worse because my old microphone was bad in a way that cut out all background noise consistently always because i had to noise cancel the wine and so i was very worried that if i got a new microphone even the same microphone which i did that it would start to pick up background noise which would be harder to cancel and so I wanted a blue Yeti. I wanted like a, like a wave link. I wanted something better, but the store only had the exact same blue snowball. And so I bought that and I'm, I'm now happy with it, but I was very worried when I went out yesterday to buy a new microphone that buying a new microphone, which was better would actually in practice be way worse, which from a technical standpoint, people would tell you would not be the case because there's a, gestalt and a kind of thinking among technical people that like oh you're just capturing the audio if it's better quality it's going to be better quality in post-processing too and um i know that's not true from my own experience but to try to tell somebody that it sounds like you're a crank and there's other there's other stuff as well which is like my wife was buying an amazon fire tablet she was like i'm gonna buy the 16 gigabyte one and i'm like I really need you to not buy the 16 gigabyte one. And I'm going to tell you why, because Amazon increases the size of their firmware every single update. And in a couple of years, or even in like a year, this thing is going to be useless because the entire internal memory is going to be filled up with the firmware. And she was like, that doesn't make any sense. That can't possibly be. That doesn't make any sense. And, it, and I had to like convince her that like, 
no, I need you to spend the extra 50 bucks on this because it's going to get an extra three years out of this tablet. Like, and there's no technical reason that should be the case, right? There's no technical reason that, that it should become like that. But I know that it will become like that because of my experience, but I sound like a crank when I describe that. And so I think that when you have experience with technical stuff, there's this gap between like technical knowledge for smart people and then also your own experience of how technology actually works and develops over time. And microphones are one very key area where this happens, but then also other tech as well. Yeah, I think just in general, like we we are trained so consistently to believe that the newest thing is better. And that's only true in a very small subset of aspects of our lives. Like not even in tech is that like maybe maybe 20 years ago that that was mostly true. But nowadays, like any given like class of technology is it's like a 50 50 shot, like whether or not the next version is going to be actually like a usability improvement over the previous version. I mean, I kind of hit this yesterday and, you know, it's the question about, oh, well, technology getting better, technology staying the same or technology, you know, being kind of a known quantity. My old computer does doesn't boot like it turns on, but like the keyboard and mouse don't get anything. It's not outputting video, and it's like, all right, cool. I guess I can throw parts at this, but you know, I built this thing in 2012, and it's sat unpowered for three years, and it just won't work. It's just like, man, this seems like a headache, you know, yeah. just to do some some goofy little project. In that in that case, the new one probably would be better. <laughs> Yeah, but it's one of those things where it's just like, well, hardware doesn't really fail that often. And it's kind of people have a bad understanding as to probability just overall. And I think that a lot of people run headfirst into this when it comes to hard drive failures. I've never had a hard drive fail. And then, um, damn, it it really sucks when you do. Well, yeah, and the um, solid state drives are, are worse in that they fail suddenly instead of gradually. Yeah, I I had a Intel like you know I bought Intel because Intel is Intel at you know when when SSDs were first coming out or becoming more available and I just had one of those just straight up just like one day nothing it's like cool I I wish I had any sort of heads up on that <laughs> right yeah so like my new microphone is better than my old microphone but is it because I bought the same one as my old microphone because like I know enough I can go buy a ribbon mic and I can go buy an audio interface and I know that my audio would be worse than if I had just bought another blue snowball. And that's not because the blue snowball is great. There are like a dozen microphones on the market that will serve the same function, but this is the one that was in the shop and it's the same one I already had. And I knew that it would work. And I need to record a podcast the next day. It's a good fit for, for the, for the problem. Yeah. Yeah, like to get to get like the the SM57 set up to record a podcast requires a lot of extra equipment and extra technical know-how that I don't think is reasonable to expect uh, like the average podcaster to know. But even the SM57 is a good is a good fit because it's a it's a dynamic mic, it's used in a lot of concerts and it's very durable and you can you can pot it down and so like with an SM57 setup I could get what I'm getting now for sure. It would just be a lot more expensive, mm-hmm. but SM57 is not what people tend to use for podcasting. They tend to go get these like big um, vocal condenser mics 
uh, and that uh, don't work as well for what they want to do, even though on the tin they should. And the reason they don't is because those are built for studios where like if you got somebody in an ISO booth and you have that microphone, it's great. If you don't have an ISO booth, it's the worst. <laughs> it's like some of the best podcasts have been recorded with like SM57s, just people holding it in their hand. Like just, and those are people who like know a thing about audio, who knew enough to know not to go out and get these like really expensive condenser mics. Like, so I think even like, like SM57 is considered like the dumb solution in a lot of cases, but it's actually kind of the smart solution that people miss because when you search this stuff, like that's not what comes up as the solution. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I do have a answer as to why, you know, your anxiety over this new microphone is and possibly swapping out with something fancier, you know, involving more equipment. It's it has to do with the gold plated USB cables and the alignment of the crystals in your workspace. Like we have to make sure that all the chakras are aligned so that, you know, we can get the appropriate warmth and tone to your voice. And, you know, different microphones have different alignments that are necessary. That's true. That high-pitched whine did impart a kind of spiritual nature onto my voice that is now absent. It's okay. Zoom would have filtered it out, fil- filtered it out anyway. I So I started this podcast with a snowball. Uh, and like, I don't know, 20 episodes in or something, I ended up upgrading to a Yeti just because I wanted the slightly higher audio quality. And now, of course, we're I'm using Zoom to do all the recording. And so like... I, I sound like I'm going through a phone call anyway, so I might as well have stuck with you, <laughs> stuck with the old one. But I was already giving a, I, w- I was giving the the tip before of like just getting close to the mic. The other tip I would actually give to um, someone who wants to do this sort of thing, uh, I got for like fifteen bucks on Amazon. I got a, a boom arm that just clamps onto my desk and screws into the the Yeti. And so I can now, for example, type without it sounding like thunder, uh, because the, by default, like the, both the Snowball and the Yeti have, um, they rest on the desk. Yeah. And then every single vibration. So I also upgraded to a boom arm and the arm life is very, very nice. It's nice. It's really nice. And, and when you're not using it, you can just like, you know, put it up, put it behind the monitor. Who cares? Like yeah. it's, it's real cool. Yeah. There's like a couple of things like that, like boom arm, pop filter, that are very meaningful Mm -hmm. and then like other things about the mic are not as meaningful as people would like them to be. And, um, for like the snowball, like I don't even like the snowball. Like I, I wanted something better, but I just didn't trust that something better would have the specific feature that I want, which is like a minus 20 DB pad so that I have to be up on the mic so that it doesn't, capture background like it's yeah i know i'm repeating myself but like it's just one of these things of people don't quite understand how it works and if you understand a little about how it works you just go crazy and then when you have done it for a long time you understand even more and you start even using shittier tools because they're better (laughs) i mean it goes back to uh making shop versus actual production. Oh yeah, certainly. Like, you can spend a lot of time just bench racing and be like, oh yes, I want the best equipment to do the best recording. And then you just wind up spending all the time assembling a studio versus actually doing anything with it. I was in a band recording for my degree when I was in audio engineering. And 
we used this really nice ribbon microphone to mic some strings from an acoustic guitar for a cover of a Weezer song. And it was a really nice cover. They did a great job. And it was unlistenable because of the string squeak. (laughs) Because it was so sensitive, there was no way to EQ it out because you imagine string squeak as being high pitch. And so you can just EQ it out. But that misses the fact that it happens across the entire spectrum because of the kind of like percussion nature of it that you get bass notes you get notes all along the line you get notes that interfere with the like the actual strings being played there's actually no way to eq string squeak out of a like maybe they do now maybe they have ai but like at that time in 2009 there was no way to eq out string squeak from a mismiked acoustic guitar and if we had just used a fucking SM57 and had them play like slightly louder, then it would have been a perfect recording. I mean, 2009, like I think uh, Mechanical Turk was around, so you probably could have gotten it done. Oh, yeah. Eventually. The, the, the AI of like, hey, replay this guitar part for me. So just send it to Fiverr. Just get a thousand people and pay them 10 cents each to, you know, scrub out the guitar squeak one second at a time. <laughs> and the reason we used it was my professor was like, we have this very nice ribbon mic. If you play into it too loud, it's going to break. Okay. So but we're <laughs> going to use it because I have it and we like it just horrible for the entire recording. Just awful. And that professor later went on to destroy a one of a kind wax cylinder on tech TV. He did not. He met David Letterman. He was a nice guy. He, he uh, <laughs> when I didn't turn in a final project and I said like, my antidepressants made me do this. He was like, okay, don't worry about it. Just get it finished. And then he was nice. So he was a great guy. Stan Sollers, Ball State University. Go, go, go. That's a good review. That's like, you should go and rate my professor. I did. It was very harrowing. The one black professor in our department had negative reviews and it was, (laughs) uh, this was in Indiana and it was, it was awful. I, I feared having her before that for no good reason. And then after I had had her, um, it turned out she was just like really no nonsense and she expected everybody to like do the work and stuff. And right. like college students hated that and just like negatively reviewed her. And I never had a problem with her. And then it turned out she was friends with my professor from my Japanese program. And so like, I don't think I got preferential treatment, but she was totally fine. Like a plus would review again. So at that point I lost a lot of faith in rate my, in rate my professor because a professor I knew was like solid, like 10, 10 out of 10 was just yeah, like, yeah, but, but she was a black woman to be fair. <laughs> it got a grave grade on a curve. The, 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 this might be too spicy, but I, the overarching idea of social media collapsing um, has been kind of a theme of 2023 uh-huh. and rate. My professor is a social media site. It is rate. My Bef- rate. My professor, any better or worse like cosmically or you know emotionally do they they, have they banned trump yet well then linkedin like i I, i'm trying to get to how (laughs) like crazy linkedin is and like people posting blogs on linkedin about linkedin is rate my student right like linkedin is the opposite i don't think so like i haven't investigated firsthand but i do know that there are blogs on linkedin and people are using it as a micro blogging site now like it basically has assumed what Facebook used to be. Like it, it's, it's I weird. think that's all like 
bots and stuff and recruiting. I, I think I think that that's job stuff. I don't think that that's like no. social function. No, it's 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 people with MBAs showing to other people with MBAs that they got their MBA and they're all about that uh, rising grind and, and how fortunate they feel to uh, be working in such a disruptive field. Back when I was doing video games, hot dog, I walked past the LinkedIn building, I guess every Thursday and every single time I've wanted to like go in there and ask, like, go to the front desk and ask, like, what is LinkedIn yeah, but- for? What is this? What is the website for? And I still don't know. Even after you, you two just were discussing like what people do on it, like it just I that that information is now gone from my brain. Even though I heard it and tried my best to process it, it's gone. I know that yeah, there's I've... a pithy answer about what LinkedIn is, where it's basically the inverse of like online dating websites, where nerdy guys get uh, girls to message them every day, okay. trying to get them to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I realize this is um, very privileged of me to say as somebody with a tech job in Japan, but like my LinkedIn still says that I teach English in a prefecture I don't, I haven't lived in for eight years. So I haven't needed it. And if you, it's one of those things where if you do need it, then you really need it. And I, I respect that. And my not needing it doesn't mean that nobody needs it. But like there's a, there, there's a certain branch of job that, really needs it. And there is, there are a lot of jobs that do not care. And I was so petrified because a VP at the company that I got hired at messaged me and he's like, Oh, I found you and you, you uh, interviewed recently and you accepted the job offer. I'm really happy to like have you on board. And I was like, so petrified because he was messaging me on LinkedIn and I hadn't updated anything there. And the reason I got hired was because I was a fucking data scientist (laughs) after that. Like, I have published papers and shit like that never went up there because I just never updated it. And so I was like petrified that somebody would see at some point in the past, I was like an interpreter and an English teacher and be like, Oh, he can't possibly work here. Like, (laughs) right. Yeah. Yeah. So having a out of date LinkedIn might be a, that, that might be a danger right now. It's a power move. I always, whenever I'm between jobs, I'm like, I'm going to update this. Oh yeah. You're, you're counter signaling. Yeah. Now I'm like, Oh if I don't get a couple jobs in a, in a few weeks here, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Yeah. I'm definitely going to do it. And then just like, it never happens. And let's hope it never does. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want a new job. I like, I like my current job quite a lot. Uh, that's all the time we have for topic Lords. So said K Faber, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? I am primarily still on Twitter at Sisset K Faber. So like, you know, C I S H E T then K Faber, like you like wrestling. Um, I've also started a blue sky because phone gave me an invite and I'm trying to switch over to there. I will have a Mastodon account in the future. And if you would like to know what my Mastodon account will be in the future, you should be in the topic Lords discord and uh, follow it there. So if you want to find me, those are the places that you can find me. And phone, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on the topic Lords uh, discord, uh, show up from time to time, hang out. I don't have a very large online presence and I would like to keep it that way because um, lurkers, you know, that way lies madness. Well, there's that, but also there, there's a lot to be learned from lurking and, uh, and and not responding. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed Lords. 
This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!